all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. We're back. Another episode of MASH Matters celebrating the greatest television show of all time. Hosted by two guys who love the show, but for completely different reasons. I'm a super fan. My name is Ryan Patrick. And then there's this guy who played this guy named Private Igor on MASH for nine of the 11 seasons. He stole every scene he was in. Wow. And he just happens to be right here. Jeff Maxwell, hello. How are you today, sir? Ryan Patrick, that was a wonderful, lovely introduction to who I actually, or whom I am, whom I am, or who who I, any, either of those. <laughs> yes, I was Private Igor. I still am Private Igor. I guess I'm still Private Igor, aren't I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm still Private Igor. I mean, once you get a part like that, it doesn't ever just fade away. It doesn't like go into some closet somewhere. You are that character, I guess. Yep. So, yeah, so I still am. And uh, I'm also Jeff Maxwell, which I kind of a dual personality. It's a problem sometimes to my wife, but she's <laughs> used to it by now. Well, you take the medication too. So that's a helps. lot of it. A lot of it. It calms her down too if I do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, hey, here we are doing this wonderful podcast about MASH called MASH Matters. Is this exciting or what? I love this. I love it too. And, you know, typically an episode where we will answer questions from listeners, we will do a lot of research. We'll reach out to people and say, hey, uh, can you give us some insight? We'll go back to old interviews that we've done here on the podcast and to be able to give a uh, relatively informed answer to these really, really in-depth questions. Well, I'm not sure the use of the word we is correct <laughs> in that description. You do that. You're very good at it. I've, I've lost my ability to research probably in the eighth grade, so I, I have no <laughs> talent for it. <laughs> well, okay. I, I, what I'm saying, though, is that's a typical episode. However, today's episode is not going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> So we have a lot of questions that come into us uh, via our website and via Facebook and Twitter and voicemails, and we love everything that comes in. Thank you for sending us questions. However, sometimes we get questions that are, well, let's just face it, unanswerable. Questions that we don't know the answers to, or we have an answer, but it may not be the definitive answer. It might be a guess, or we might be assuming that it's the answer, or we might just have an answer, but not be able to back it up with any additional information. That's what today's episode is all about. We are going to do our best to answer a lot of unanswerable questions. We're not knocking the questions themselves. No. We're just throwing up the white flag and saying, we give up. We don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, they're very good questions. Yeah. Very good questions. We just don't know the answer to it. But we also know that there are a lot of smart, ardent MASH fans out there who may know the answer to some of these questions. And mm -hmm. so what we're going to do is we're just going to run through these questions. We have a bunch to go through. And some of these questions are old. We've been sitting on them. And one of the reasons we've been sitting on them is because we've been trying to find the answers and we just haven't been able to find uh, a satisfactory answer to some of these questions. If you hear a question that you know the answer to that we don't, please share the answer with us and you know we'll send you a mash matters sticker or we'll you know cream some weenies and throw them in a tupperware dish and ups them to you overnight it gives you the opportunity to shame two people two very nice guys yes uh, because ryan is a tremendous fan a tremendous researcher and jeff is 
you know, he was there. So you can shame them both. It gives you bragging rights, right? Indeed. And you get maybe a keychain for shaming two wonderful guys. So we are going to run through these questions here in just a moment. Now, before we do that, though, I wanted to thank Scott. Scott sent us a message, I think through Facebook, and he said, hey, guys, love the show. The reason I'm writing is someone from Canada recently wrote to you, and they said they couldn't find where to watch MASH on TV. You can let anyone who listens from Canada know that I watch it on TLN, which is Teletino. Uh, He says that's channel 599 on Rogers Cable, but you can go to TLN.com and you can find out where else you can watch MASH in Canada. That might be the only real question we answer today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, now that we've done that, let's get right into the horribly embarrassing questions that we will have no uh, ability to answer. The first one we have this is, is going to be a thrilling episode. It's going to be, is this a double negative episode or something? Like we don't know the answers and we don't know what we're doing or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> From Terry in Minneapolis, do either of you know, well, of course we've already said, no, we don't. But anyway, do either of you know why Pat Morita, Captain Pack, wasn't used more than two episodes? He was awesome. Love the podcast. Igor rules. All right. Actually, I kind of do know why Pat Morita was not used more than two episodes. Really? His breath. Horrible. (laughs) Terrible breath. Could not get within four feet of him without going, oh, God. Two episodes was enough. You know, they wouldn't let him on the stage. You know, they tried to get him. What about some mouthwash, Pat? No, he wouldn't stand for it. I don't know. Deep apologies to the estate of Pat Morita. (laughs) He he was a he was a very very talented wonderful man and a wonderful actor and a wonderful performer. Pat Morita. Breath aside, he was the best. And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of kidding about the breath, you know. And but we're not kidding when we say we don't know. We don't know. We don't know why Pat Morita was only used in two episodes. Now he went on, of course, to appear in the first season of Happy Days. He played Arnold for the first season, and that was 1975 to 1976. His episodes of MASH aired December 73 and January 74. So I don't know if Happy Days played into that. It seems like that's too far of a time span there for Happy Days to have conflicted with MASH. Yeah. I don't know if Happy Days was the reason that he wasn't used in more episodes on MASH. And maybe he had other work. Or maybe there was other work he did between MASH and Happy Days that conflicted. It could have just been that he committed to another project and contractually he could not get out of it. I don't know. But he he is on record. There was an article, and I can put it in the show notes, from MeTV. He basically thanked MASH for giving him his first legitimate role that really kind of propelled him mm-hmm. to do Happy Days. And then, of course, going on to Mr. Miyagi and... And Karate Kid. Yeah. So if anybody out there knows the reason why Pat Morita wasn't used in more than two episodes, please let us know. My guess, uh, besides the breath thing, is that um, <laughs> it's very possible that the writers were just kind of not necessarily coming up with the best story for him to be included in the so- show. There's nothing personal, I'm sure. It was just a question of, gee, you got to find a story and gee, does this character fit there? And it might not. And so, you know, the writers get off on a different kind of path and it just may not have come up. So it came up enough so that we recognize him and uh, loved his performances. 
you know, but it's probably just one of those showbiz things and nothing, no, nobody sat down and say, Hey, we don't want that guy around here anymore. Right, right. I'm sure that didn't happen. From Josh. He says, hi, Ryan and Jeff. Thank you so much for this podcast. I am a longtime MASH fan who has seen every episode at least seven to eight times, some many more. However, I just recently discovered your podcast. It's very striking to me how you mentioned how many people have written to you to say that their memory of the show is watching with their parents, because that is my memory as well. It was something I grew up watching with both my parents, especially my mom. And I think that bond it helped create is one of the reasons I love the show so much. After high school, I joined the army and I ended up serving three years in Korea, not far from Weejambu, where the show was supposed to take place. My oldest daughter was actually born in St. Mary's Weejambu Hospital. Wow. Anyways, I just wanted to drop you guys a note to say thanks and also drop in a few questions. Thanks for taking the time to do this for the fans. So his questions are, do you have any memories of Lori Bates? She played a blonde nurse extra from around season six to season 10. I was always fascinated by her. Do you know why she was no longer seen after around season 10? Uh, his second question, which actually I don't know is unanswerable, but do you know why some background characters such as Igor, Kelly, and Gwen stayed around for so long, but others such as Leslie Scorch, Ginger, Margie Cutler, and others didn't? Was that a decision on the part of those actors, or was there a director or producer decision behind it? Okay, mm. so... Which question should we tackle first here? I mean, it's not like we're really tackling it because, again, we don't really necessarily have the answers. But which <laughs> one would you like to tackle first, Jeff? You know, it's interesting that he knows Lori Bates. Mm -hmm. You know, do we have any memories of Lori Bates? Um, no, I, I yeah. don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she was a wonderful person. I, I just don't know that I remember Lori Bates. Now, if you saw a picture of her, now yeah. if you go to IMDb and search Lori Bates, L-A-U-R-I-E, mm -hmm. if you've seen all the episodes of MASH, when her picture pops up, you'll go, oh yeah, her. IMDb credits her with 12 episodes. She only has one other acting credit, uh, and that was as an uncredited party girl in the movie Big Wednesday, which was a surfing film back in the late 70s. So I don't know what happened to Lori before MASH or what happened to Lori after MASH, why she was not used in more episodes. Again, I don't think she ever had a line in any of the episodes, but she was one of those nurses that was kind of always present. Besides that, I have no idea, no clue. I couldn't really find any information about her. Mm -hmm. So the other question is why some of the uh, secondary characters stayed longer than others. You know, he brings up Leslie Scorch and, and Ginger and Actually, Margie Cutler, we're going to talk about in another uh, question coming up here. Jeff, I'm, I'm assuming there is no one-size-fits-all answer to this question. Uh, no. Well, uh, you know, I, I, because it's been a few years since all of this happened, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to remember Leslie Scorch and Ginger and Margie Cutler and exactly who they were, what uh, kind of category they came into the show as. If they were extras, then they would have been part of the preferred pool of people that were usually chosen to be extras in the show so that it would kind of keep everything consistent in terms of the camp and the same people around. Yeah, they weren't extras. Now, the reason you may not remember them as well is because they were more prevalent in the first season Aha. before you came along. Wasn't even uh, there. Didn't know. Yeah, okay. Margie Cutler, again, we're going to talk about her here shortly, but that was Marcia Strassman. Oh, okay. Uh, Leslie Scorch, she was 
was Henry's uh, love interest, really, in the first season. And then Ginger Bayless was very prominently featured in the pilot episode, kind of as a love interest of Spearchucker. Mm -hmm. Why they didn't stick around, why they weren't used. Maybe they just got other work. Maybe there were contractual issues. Who knows? We really don't know. Yeah, we really don't know, which takes us back to the introduction of this episode. We have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) And we're sort of proud of it on this episode anyway. Yes, they were probably hired for certain shows. And then either that character just wasn't necessarily thought of again to bring back uh, within the context of a story. That would explain some of it. But if they needed to say, hey, you know, let's do the thing with a girl that somebody liked Yeah, they would try and bring that actor back. But if that didn't happen, then the actor wasn't brought back. And again, it's nothing personal. It's just showbiz. That's kind of what happened. Yes. And from Grant, what an amazing podcast. Thank you, Grant. Okay, next. Go ahead, Ryan. (laughs) See, we have no answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) No, Grant says, the combination of Ryan, the true MASH fan, talking with Jeff, who was just there doing his job and has so many great insights, is a wonderful and entertaining mix. I relate very much to Ryan, and I put myself in his place as he talks to Jeff and draws out so much wonderful insight from Jeff. I watch MASH almost daily on DVD, so I know most episodes probably too well, but I am always trying to look deep into the actors, the details, and wondering about various show details. I don't want to drop all my questions in one email, so I'll ask this one now. The sign with MASH 4077 and the Red Cross in the Officers Club I heard you mention that one of the more prominent messages referenced Gene Reynolds and his wife. Do you know of any other stories related to the graffiti on the sign, or was the sign made up solely as a prop? Please keep up the great work with this podcast. Thank you, Grant. So this is the big sign that you see hanging in the O Club. It says MASH 4077, and you see a lot of signatures and handwriting on it. Now, we have a picture of it, and we'll put this picture in the show notes for this episode at MASHmatters.com. So one he referenced, Gene Reynolds. There is a Butch Reynolds, whose name is written on this sign. So I'm assuming that that has something to do with Gene. I don't know. The other one that has a connection to the show is Larry Marshall. That is a nod to Larry Gelbart, whose wife, Pat Marshall, was her maiden name. Beyond that, I don't know who else is a real name associated with the show. Jeff, do you see any names on this sign that jump out to you? No. Okay. I I don't. I have no idea who those people are. (laughs) None whatsoever. And it could have been, that sign could very well have been originally made in the prop department and 16 different people signed it just to make it look like something. Yeah. I wish I did know, but I don't. There's names like Smitty Loves Lil, Duke Michael. Now, Duke was a name that was from the original novel and the film, MASH. Yeah. Uh, Fred Stubbs. Now, under the s and mash very faintly it looks like it might say colonel g reynolds so that obviously would be gene reynolds it's written very faintly 
yeah, we don't know. Maybe these were some of the crew who made up some of these names. Maybe they're friends of producers. Yeah. I, I don't know. Actually, there was a gentleman who was the kind of head of the prop department uh, set decorating on this show, and his name was Doug Stubbs. Okay. And maybe that's a nod to Doug. I don't know. It could be. So if anybody knows any stories behind some of these names from this sign, again, please let us know and we'll send you a sticker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next unanswerable question. This one coming from Chad. Chad says, hi, guys. Love your podcast. I have an obscure question. Well, you picked <laughs> the right episode for that. There's an early episode where Radar is talking on the radio to Sparky at Seoul, and he mentions a book that Sparky sent to him. It was a risque Victorian book, and he said he liked it. But when he got to that chapter that it was torn out, he asked who did it. And Sparky says, everybody, here's the question. The next thing Radar says is, hot Cherokee. Hot Cherokee. <laughs> to me, this sounds like a mispronunciation of Cherokee, but later in the bomb episode, Klinger is arguing with Radar about a so-called book he's going to write about exposing the war, and Klinger says, Will you put me in it? And Radar says, Yeah, 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 page one. Then Klinger says, Hot Cherokees. I've asked a lot of older folks if there was a product or ad that says this phrase, and some have said it may have been a chewing tobacco or a candy bar. Do you know? Thanks for reading. Thank you, Chad. Obviously, Chad, if we're reading your question during this episode... <laughs> We don't know. Not a clue. I'm curious too. Maybe this was a saying. Maybe it was simply something that Larry Gelbart or one of the writers heard when they were younger and they used it. You know, it could have been something that a grandparent said or, or an uncle said, but I can't find any story that references where this saying may come from. Yep. Again, if you know, let us know. But thank you, Chad, for your question. Yeah, for humiliating us uh, in front of all these people. Oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> From Michael. Michael says, first, I love the podcast and you both do a great job. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things I would like to see as sort of a wink and a nod to such a great show would be for another CBS hit today to maybe incorporate a MASH character into a storyline. For example... Maybe Blue Bloods could have a crime scene where Danny Regan shows up and the crime takes place in a restaurant and the owner of the five-star eatery is Chef Jeff Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thought. Anyway, keep up the great work. Cool. Well, that's a cool, and you know, that kind of, uh, this is not necessarily a question. I just wanted to include it in case any of the producers of Blue Bloods happen to listen to the podcast Yes, uh, so that you could possibly get a job offer out of the deal. A wonderful, a wonderful job offer. I And a five-star eatery. Yes, that would be perfect for me. I could do that <laughs> without even thinking about it, without any acting at all. I wouldn't even act. I'd just come in and do that. Okay, but Michael, five-star? Really? Five star? Come on. All right. I'll go four. Who cares? It's a, it's a job. All right. From Steve, he says, I have a question regarding the episode, I Hate a Mystery. When Henry pulled on the pipe and was instantly covered with soot, Alan Alda laughed uncontrollably for a few minutes. I often wondered if he didn't know what was coming for some reason. Did the writers sneak that in so that he could have a genuine reaction? I do have an answer for that. Okay. And this is, you know, I'm going against the grain here. We'll have sort of an answer. I might have to edit this question out if we actually have an answer. <laughs> yeah, <right. Yes. laughs> 
we failed actually <laughs> at this show. <laughs> no, I knew that we would have an answer to this one, and I knew that you would be able to answer this question. Uh, no, writers would not do that to an actor, and especially to Alan Alda. You're not going to surprise Alan Alda with stuff. No, it wasn't a surprise. And the fact that he's laughing uncontrollably, and you feel that from this actor, is kind of a tribute to Alan Alda, who is just darn good at it. And so he can take a moment and play that moment and commit to that moment so well that you're saying, hey, this is the real deal. And in that moment, it is the real deal for him. It's almost like he was acting or <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you were hiring him to come in and play a character. I will say one thing, too, about McLean Stevenson in that scene. If you pay attention to him right after he gets that face full of black soot, he opens his eyes and you can tell he is not comfortable. The way he's blinking and opening his eyes really wide, he's blinking excessively. I imagine that the soot got into his eyes and was probably burning or hurting or causing some kind of discomfort, but he plays through it like a pro so that they don't have to reset and clean all that stuff off his face and do it all again. But but pay close attention to him the next time you watch that scene. He does not look like he is comfortable <laughs> during that scene. He does look uncomfortable. And, and who, who wouldn't be? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's not necessarily acting. That's the truth. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been a surprise. No, not at all. And- from Chris. Hey, guys, writing again to inquire as to your health. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, your health and safety during this wild time, but perhaps more uniquely, I wonder if anyone can find out why Marcia Strassman, Nurse Cutler, left the show. All my research has afforded is that she seemed to remember her time on the show fondly, but there's nothing I can find as to why she would have left. All of season one is peppered with sights of her and very well-written exchanges with a long-term cast. Any ideas? I couldn't find anything really about her leaving the show. She was just written out of the show with no real explanation. Now, she went on to appear in many other projects. Most famously, she was Mrs. Cotter on Welcome Back, Cotter. That show began in 1975. So again, it could be that she left MASH to go to Welcome Back, Cotter. One thing I did find out, though, that I didn't know about her was that she was a recording artist at one point and actually released a few songs and had some regional success on the charts uh, with one song in particular. Aside from that fact, I really didn't find out much more than I already knew about Marsha Strassman. And sadly, you know, she passed away back in 2007 from breast cancer. Yeah. Beautiful woman, a fine actress, and would have been interesting to see what would have happened to nurse Margie Cutler had she stayed on for a little while longer, but we'll never know. Now, Jeff, do you have any insight? Uh, I think as you suggest that perhaps it was just a show business decision. You know, it is a business and actors are out there to earn a living and do what they need to do to do that. And so- Possibly, you know, her agent asked for more money 
and they said no, uh, or they wanted a guarantee of a certain number of episodes, and they said no, or, or it wasn't anything to do with that. It was simply another job, and maybe you know she was involved with other shows that she did pilots. A lot of actors will be in pilots that never air uh, or never get seen, but they're working on them for a couple of months. And so that would take up time and that would dissuade her from doing a mash for two days or something because she's got a, a great job on another show making a whole bunch of money. <laughs> right. So that's just kind of the, the life of an actor. You go in and out of stuff. You know, mash was working for her for a while. The, again, the writers could say, well, you know, we're not interested in pursuing that character line. And so they move in a different direction and it would just naturally kind of leave a character alone. But yeah, I don't, again, it's not personal. I think it's just the business of show business. And from Darren. Hello, Ryan and Jeff. I was wondering about something that maybe Jeff could shed some light on. After everything was said and done, and after the many years since MASH ended, how long did the goodbye in rocks last on the helipad? Was it gone right after they yelled, that's a wrap? Or is it now buried in weeds and grasses or sitting on people's mantles as mementos? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> What are those rocks on your mantle? Oh, that's bad. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, great. I have no idea. I it's a good question. I have I have zero idea whether they're still out there or they're buried or people have you know sold them like they sold the Berlin Wall. <laughs> I don't know. Chopped them up and sold little pieces. It could be you know moon rocks or I don't know. I just see some guy standing in the alley going, "Hey, buddy, you want to buy a rock? <laughs> this was in the B of goodbye." <laughs> Right. There's a premium for the B. Not everybody has the B. There were two O's. You know, those aren't worth as much. Um, It's dawning on me, though, as I'm reading the question that we probably do have the answer to this question because that scene, goodbye, was not the last scene that was filmed. In fact, the finale itself was filmed before the final season was filmed of MASH. Yeah. So there's really no way the rocks would still be there because they would have removed those in order to film any scenes on the helipad for the final season of MASH. So they had to have been removed. The question is, what happened to those rocks? Chances are they just went back to a pile somewhere. <laughs> and they went back to some prison where the prisoners are beating <laughs> cracking rocks. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I, I mean, I'd love to think that maybe people took them as mementos, but yeah. they may not have been thinking about them as mementos at the time. They were just rocks. Yeah. The, the time discrepancy between that show that was shot and the last, last episode and so forth. Yeah. They couldn't leave them there. Unless, now, there was a forest fire that came through and burned everything down. Right. Don't know exactly when they shot that scene of him flying away in the helicopter. Mm -hmm. uh, so if they had to go back out there again to the ranch in the last uh, season. Right. Um, I'm getting lost myself here. <laughs> well, this is humiliating now. I'm totally humiliated. I had a good idea because you said- I can cut it out. No, no. We don't want to cut this. I, we have to be real here. If you're an idiot and you're a stupid moron, let's be real and exhibit that. I'm willing. Well, if anybody knows what Jeff was wanting to say, uh, let us know and we'll send you a sticker. Because I have no idea. <laughs> Somebody out there will piece this together that might have a brain. You probably will figure out what I was trying to say because there is, I, in fact, I will figure it out and we'll bring this up in another episode. Let's move on. Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So Gabrielle says, I was watching this season seven episode, Point of View, one of my favorites. And a question came to mind. What is the name of the actor who played the role of Private Rich in that episode? I looked it up in my book, TV's MASH, The Ultimate Guidebook, but I couldn't find it. So who was it? Thank you for a great podcast. I did find the answer to this. Oh. Private Rich is the soldier who is injured, and we are seeing the episode point of view through Private Rich's eyes. We never see his face. We do see his body. We see his hands. We see his feet. We hear his voice at some point. In the very final moments of the episode, you hear Private Rich's voice for the first time. I'm going to plug your tube, and I want you to talk very quietly and carefully. Just a few words now. Okay, talk. He just spoke volumes. I can tell you that an actor named David Stafford is credited with voicing Private Rich. Now, even though I found the answer, the reason we're putting it in this unanswerable question episode is because we know that was David Stafford's voice, but I don't know if that was David Stafford's hands or his feet or any part of his body. And I really don't know much more about David Stafford. He does have several credits on IMDb ranging from Lou Grant all the way up to CSI Miami. His last credit was 2010. So to answer your question, Gabrielle, David Stafford voiced Private Rich, but I don't know anything beyond that. Here's a guess. Mm -hmm. If I can still use my brain, what's left of it. <laughs> he would have been hired and an actor would have been hired to do the voiceover work. He or she would have been paid the SAG, whatever it was, amount for the voiceover work, uh, according to his agent and whatever this, they worked out. The physicality of a body part would have been cheaper than that actor coming in to do the voiceover work. Mm. So if they're paying a voiceover guy, he comes in for one day and goes through, records everything that is needed to be recorded in that episode, one or two days, whatever he's hired for, that's one rate of pay. But doing a body part would have been a cheaper rate of pay. <laughs> so probably they hired the actor to do those voiceovers because they knew that's what you know they needed to show up for the part. Mm -hmm. but having a hand or a shoulder or a body part or an eye or whatever, that could have been anybody. And you would, instead of paying a daily rate for a voiceover actor, you would be perhaps being paid a daily rate for an extra that was upgraded to a different price, a little bit more, more money for the day. Gotcha. So my guess is there was an actor and there was another person who had body parts <laughs> who was cheaper. <laughs> And I've often wondered how they shot that episode. I don't know if that body is the body of the cameraman who is holding the camera because everything, again, is through the eyes of Private Rich. So I'm not sure if that is the case or if the cameraman was directly behind or over the shoulder of the actor playing Private Rich. So if anybody has any information about that as well, please share that information with us. Uh, were, were there any rocks involved in that episode? <laughs> I just wondered if they're... let me answer that with the phrase that's all the rage this episode. Uh -huh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. All right. From Mark, he says, is it true Alan Alda starred in a TV pilot where he was an astronaut with a talking dog? Or is this an urban legend? I need to know. <laughs> well, Mark, first of all, 
<laughs> Part of me hopes that this is true. And somewhere out there, there is a pilot of a, a TV show where Alan Alda plays an astronaut with a talking dog. <laughs> the other part of me hopes that this is not true. <laughs> and that Alan Alda never appeared in a TV pilot as an astronaut with a talking dog. Yeah. I could not find any information about this, Mark. I, and I, that, that's not saying it's not real. Maybe it does exist. But in all the research that I did, I couldn't find anything about this. So if anybody knows if this is true or not, that Alan starred in a TV pilot as an astronaut with a talking dog, please let us know. Or if you're a dog, uh, you can leave us a voicemail <laughs> message about it. If you're, But only if you're a talking dog, because right. you can't leave one unless you're a talking dog. I mean, if you are a talking dog, we'll know that you're the actual talking dog that he did the pilot with. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I got out of that one, didn't I? All right. And from Delia, she says, there are several episodes where Trapper plays the ukulele. Did Wayne Rogers really play? If so, did he ever play it on set while not filming? Just started listening. So sorry if you've already answered this already. Loving the podcast, by the way. Well, Delia, I did some interesting research about Wayne Rogers and his ukulele skills. Actually, it's not very interesting at all. I just Googled, <laughs> did Wayne Rogers play the ukulele? <laughs> I found it to be quite challenging to find any information about whether or not Wayne Rogers was a musician because there happens to be a professional musician whose name is Wayne Rogers. Oh, There are quite a few posts about the musical talents of Wayne Rogers, but it's not Wayne Rogers from MASH. It's the musician, Wayne Rogers. However, I love the internet. I found a post on fleamarketmusic.com from 2003. Well, you know, that's got to be reliable. In 2003, <laughs> somebody asked the question whether or not Wayne Rogers was really playing the ukulele. And a commenter named David R. said, and I quote, I don't think he is really playing. His hand on the fretboard don't seem to go where the chord tones should be. So there you go. I'm going to take David R. at his word and say that, no, he was not really playing the ukulele. Unless you have some information to the contrary. Jeff, were you aware of any musical slash ukulele skills from Mr. Wayne Rogers? No, I do not remember ever seeing him actually play for real the ukulele. Now, the other thought about this would be that if an actor is in a scene and has a musical instrument, like a ukulele, which is not terribly loud, the ukulele, in order to show up as an audio portion of the scene, would probably have to be miked. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the actor standing in a scene with two people and the mics are over their heads, just above their heads, that's where the mic is, that mic is not necessarily going to pick up the audio tones of a ukulele as well as it should. So the best way to get that ukulele onto the screen would be to do a ukulele over. <laughs> That's a technical term. A technical term instead of a voiceover, it would be a ukulele over, where the ukulele would be played by somebody, recorded properly, and then inserted into the scene. That would be my take on what happened to that ukulele issue. Yes. So I think we can probably say it was most likely not being played by Wayne Rogers. Right. But I am actually an incredible oboe player. So any of the scenes that you saw me playing the oboe behind the food counter, it actually was me. Those scenes were cut for syndication, though. So yeah, I think so. Uh, heartbreaking. Really heartbreaking. Especially to the oboe people out there. They love me. <laughs> okay. And from Rob. Just found this on YouTube. Can't believe I didn't know about it. MASH is my all-time favorite show. It's my happy place. By the way, 
What was the significance of banana daiquiris? Just curious. Thanks for the podcast. Well, thank you, Rob, for saying all those nice things. And I'm going to live up to this episode and say, I don't know. Guess what? Yeah. Neither do I. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, First of all, hey, yeah. Thank you for finding us on YouTube, Rob. In case people don't know, we have all these episodes also on YouTube. You don't see us. It's still just audio, but it's another outlet to listen to MASH Matters. So he asks about the significance of banana daiquiris. I thought that there was more than one reference to banana daiquiris. Daiquiris are mentioned several times throughout the run of the show. But as far as I can recall, the only mention of banana daiquiris was in Officers Only. When Henry goes up to the bar and says, I've been dying for a banana daiquiri. And how do you make that? You just take some uh, bananas and some rum and some cream and some crushed ice and you just put it in a blender. What's the significance of banana daiquiris and mash? I don't know. It could be one of two things. It could be that Larry Gelbart liked banana daiquiris. (laughs) Yeah, very possibly. (laughs) Or it could be banana daiquiris just kind of funny. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Right? Absolutely. You could say, hey, uh, you know, uh, give me a rum and Coke. Well, that's not very funny. Not so funny. Nope. Just saying, give me a daiquiri is not that funny. Not so funny. But when you say, I've been dying for a banana daiquiri. (laughs) Makes me laugh right there. That is comedy gold right there. And especially coming out of of that actor's mouth, it's even better comedy gold. So yeah, I think it was just a good joke. They probably sat and came up with, you know, 16 different drinks. (laughs) Which is is funnier? (laughs) And if anybody can remember another mention of banana daiquiris in any other episode of MASH, please let Let us know. And from Ben, I was wondering if you guys have any way of asking any of the surviving actors if they know the answer to who played General Douglas MacArthur in the season three episode Big Mac. The actor was uncredited and there is debate about it online. Well, Ben, you have asked probably the most unanswerable question in the MASH universe. Who played Big Mac? There is a myth that it was Robert Mitchum. Now, I will say that the actor who played General MacArthur did have a slight resemblance to Robert Mitchum, but that is not Robert Mitchum. If Robert Mitchum is going to appear on television, he's not going to do it in a five-second cameo where he has no lines whatsoever. (laughs) Who was it, though? Nobody seems to really know. And if we could find the answer to this, the definitive answer to who played General Douglas MacArthur in Big Mac, I think we would be heroes to the MASH universe. But Jeff, I don't know. Do you? Again, living up to this show, I have no idea. Don't know. It'd be fun if it was Robert Mitchum. It'd be fantastic, but I don't think it is. You know, I'm going to have to look at that episode again. Maybe I can figure it out. If we could crack this case, again, we would be heroes. But as of right now, in this episode, we don't know. Couldn't tell you. I feel like we've just done nothing but spend an hour of time letting everybody down. But we're living up to the theme of this episode. Right. We can't answer any. We don't know. But we have failed a couple of times because we've actually provided a couple of answers. So Yeah, it's true. That's true. We failed maybe uh, 20% of the time and we're successful not knowing anything for the other 80%. In the professional baseball world, we would have a pretty good batting average. Darn straight. <laughs> yeah. Big leagues. All right. So we're going to wrap up this episode with a voicemail. This one is from Ezekiel. Hello, my name is Ezekiel Gomez, and I live in Houston, Texas. Listen, one of the questions I always had about MASH is whose bra 
was in the information ward. I was outside the MASH unit. And what was their character about? That's the only question I asked. Whose bra was it in the board outside, you know, the information board? And what was her character about? Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ryan, you want to take this one first? <laughs> First of all, thank thank you for leaving that question. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for listening and, and for leaving the question. And for really inspiring this entire episode, Ezekiel. We really appreciate it. <laughs> yes. So if I'm hearing your question correctly, you are asking whose bra was hanging on the bulletin board in camp and what was that person's character all about? And that well, wraps that's up this episode <laughs> of Ash <Smash> Matters. <laughs> Yes. Thank you to everyone who sent in these great questions. Again, these are some really great questions. I just wish that we had really great answers for you. But if anybody has the answers, you can reach out to us through Facebook, through Twitter, email us mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. And you can also call and leave a voicemail under three minutes in length at 513-436-4077. And that includes any lingerie producers out there that may know the answer to his question. Before we go, we want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon VIPs. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much to Corporal Houston Burt. And Corporal Frank Alexander. Captain Michael Leodoro. Captain Steve Field. Captain Ethan McCaffrey. Captain Matt Sell. And Major Aaron Gilson. We salute all of our Patreon VIPs. You too can enlist as a VIP at mashmatters.com slash support. Side note, we do not guarantee that we will say your name correctly when we salute you as a Mash Matters VIP. Well, I'd like to salute Captain Steve Thiel, and I'd like to salute Captain Steve File, just in case. <laughs> We're covering everybody here, okay? Two for the price of one, right there. Yep. Thank you so much uh, for these great questions. We promise, though, that in future episodes, we will actually try to find some real answers to these questions. <laughs> Although we make no guarantees. None whatsoever. Until next time. Here's looking up your old address.